Welcome to the America's Podcast. My name is John Schroeder, and today I am joined by Chris Hawkins. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, great. Well, Chris is a firefighter EMT for the city of Americus, and I've just recently got to know you a little bit uh, through a phone call, through just going through the form, and also just sitting with you a little bit beforehand. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Uh, so Chris, it says on your form that you were actually born and raised in Americus. So could, do you mind just kind of sharing a little bit what it's like to, to grow up in Americus, Georgia? Okay, yeah, so I was born, raised here, been here all my life. Um, both my parents work for the school system, so my mom is a retired teacher, and my dad was actually a maintenance man for all the schools, so growing through the schools, I really could not get away with a lot. I mean, I was not a bad kid to begin with, but if I did something that was out of line, somebody would say, oh, okay, I'm going to go talk to your mom, or do I need to call your dad, So. Uh, that was always in the back of my mind, you know, let me do the things that I need to do so I don't get in trouble. Um, but been here all my life, uh, went through the primary school, elementary school, middle school, graduated from America something there in uh, 2010. Um, I actually remember I was the first second grade class to go through the primary school because I remember they finished building it and then they moved us into it. But I remember that year because my mom taught second grade and she would not let me be in a class even though I wanted to be. Cause I knew, you know, she would push me and challenge me, but uh, I still yeah. got that regardless either way. Um, yeah. But yeah, so been here all my life. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, you have siblings? Um, I do. Um, I have two younger brothers that were at home with me. I have three older brothers and two older sisters. Okay, okay. So what was it like just growing up in the household of the Hawkins? Uh, what was kind of the daily, the daily feel and um, yeah, just the dynamics there? So with both my parents working for the school system, we all got it at just about the same time. Uh, my mom working at the school that she did, up until I started high school, we would ride with her because she was at the primary school. We'd get dropped off. Then, then we just walked to whatever school we were going to. Um, now, when I started high school, then I started to ride with my dad because that gave me a little bit more time to kind of sleep in and have a little bit of a slower routine. I didn't have to worry about being at the school mm -hmm. so early. Um, but, I mean, I know I said I had the older siblings, but mainly it was me and my two younger brothers growing up. Uh, so I had two younger brothers which made three boys in mm -hmm. the house. So we were rowdy, we were always wanting to be outside um, playing games, we played a lot of sports, but it was also, my parents struggled trying to feed three yeah. <laughs> growing boys. Not so much like monetary-wise, but like it was just that point where three growing boys eat a lot. So mm -hmm. we always had to get groceries and made sure we had um, snacks and everything stocked. Yeah. But uh, I had a good childhood, man, I mean, my parents are great, didn't have any issues with my brothers. Um, mm -hmm. We had fun growing up, you know. Uh, we had neighbors that we would go and play with, do different things with mm -hmm. them. Uh, we just always been real close. Yeah, do you do you still live around the area that you were born, like in Americus, or like where were you, so, where was your family at? Uh, initially, my parents lived off the of highway 280, like going toward Plains, and I remember 
In okay. fifth grade, we ended up moving to where they live now, which is at Albany Annex. Or so, grew up outside of the city limits, mm-hmm. so we could kind of do our own thing out there. You know, not have to worry about uh, being in other people's yards. We could mm-hmm. ride a bike where we wanted to go. We could walk in the woods, kind of yeah. do those things. Uh, currently, now I live within the city limits, and mm-hmm. it's different. Uh, don't have a yard that is big enough for what I would like my kids to be able to play in. Yeah, uh, traffic is always kind of heavy, so I'm worried about that. Um, but we do have a backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son loves to play disc golf, so I put his chains in the backyard, and we just go back there and we'll throw. Um, we're getting to the point now where I can put his basket in the front yard, okay. and I say, okay, now. If you throw into the road and you stay in the yard and you let me yeah. go get it, yeah. which he Absolutely. does a good job with that. That's so. awesome. So tell me a little bit about your interest. Chris growing up, you know, five, ten years old, fifteen, where what are you interested in? What what do you love to do? Who's who's influencing you at this time? Uh, I always have enjoyed being outdoors, um, okay. hunting and fishing. My dad he was more on the fishing side, so like I remember going fishing even at the age of like three. Like he would put me on his back. We'd go out there to the pond. That actually is a funny story. So the first fish that I actually caught, uh, it was a largemouth bass, and it was a pretty decent size. So yeah. my dad helped me cast out. I threw it out there in the water and everything, and reeling it in. And I remember this fish actually like hitting my line mm. and man me being so young it scared me so as soon as he hit that that lure like i felt it i let it go and the rod went into the water the fish is like still going with the rod and i remember my dad having to go out there grabbing the rod mm-hmm. and bringing it back in and we actually reeled that fish in uh that's a story that he always tells people but yeah i always have been outside and I remember there was a point in one of my Boy Scout meetings where like they were teaching us how to do these things like you know that involve like fishing and like uh, just being able to take care of yourself outside and so one yeah. of the skills was like actually casting a rod mm-hmm. and I felt like a pro at it because I could do it and like these other kids could not and then they were looking at me like I was a celebrity yeah. and it felt good because I was like okay my dad taught me how to do that. Like I'm mm. making my dad proud yeah. in a way. So uh. that's awesome. That's awesome. It's good. So so you get into to Boy Scouts. When when does that take place? I mean, obviously your parents see that that's a value to to put you into to the Scouts. Um, did you see the same value um, just by being a part of a team and being a part of that kind of culture growing up? Uh, I agree. Uh, so initially, you start out at Cub Scouts. And okay. you start out as a tiger and then you work your way up. Okay. Um, and actually when you hit middle school is when you kind of transition into Boy Scouts from Cub Scouts. So okay. you get your wee below and then you become a Boy Scout and after that you're earning like the different uh, badges. So it's like uh, mm-hmm. star, life, um, get hard and then eventually you get to your eagle but um it was a team concept there um Mm -hmm. we did a lot of things as a group and i feel like that emphasized kind of working together you know Mm -hmm. not so much just the individual like you always hear this idea of you're only as strong as 
your, the weakest person in your group. And that can have a negative connotation to mm -hmm. it sometimes, but it should push us in a way to where, okay, if this guy is struggling and I know how to do something, then mm. how bad would it be that I don't help them to gain that knowledge or like I don't share that knowledge with them to better them because we're only as good as, you know, the the weakest link, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where did that come from? I mean, just that idea, that thought, that that's a value system that you have in you that says, wait a minute. Because some people would say, yeah, this is the weakest link, so we just let them drown, right? Uh, but but there's something in you that says, even at that age, no, we need to help this guy out. We need to we need to bring him up. Where did, where does that come from? I think that come that idea concept comes from my dad because. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from my dad, and I feel like my dad sometimes did not think that I learned a lot from him, but I was always watching him, and I saw like how he interacted with the people around him. If somebody was struggling and my dad knew how to help them, or even if he didn't know how to help them, he was gonna help them because that's just who he is. Like He wasn't gonna sit there and watch somebody struggle mm. or somebody be in need. So I feel like I took that from him. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's huge. Who else was some kind of influences in your life uh, kind of growing up um, that have kind of helped shape and mold who you are today? Well, both my parents. Um, actually, my mom has a really big heart, and I think that's where the caring side comes from me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like to see people struggle, um, and I feel like I have an obligation, you know, just to to help people. So I guess in a way I could say that came from both of my parents. Um, but even growing up, like through scouts, like uh, a guy named uh, Mr. Joseph Jones, who was actually my scout master through Boy Scouts up until the time that he passed, um, you know, he had a pretty big influence on me. I think he saw something in me that I couldn't see at the time, and mm. he he did his best to bring it out into like the positions that he put me in in scouts, positions that were not comfortable, mm -hmm. but like they were necessary for me to grow as a person. So that's huge. Uh, how important is it for um, for parents with their kids or scoutmaster to to recognize? Um, the impact that they can make on people um, just by paying attention, you know, just by watching people, um, you're watching them, they're, they're modeling something. How important is it, do you think, just in our day and age, to make sure that we're modeling even if we don't think people are paying attention? Well, I would say people are watching you regardless if you, you think they are or not. And you're gonna leave behind a legacy. And even if you never meet these people, there are gonna be people that saw something that you did that's always gonna stick with them as to how they approach a situation or how they acted, mm. uh, you know, in certain moments. And so I think it's it's just important because for one, you never know who's watching you, but you never know how your actions are gonna affect somebody that you'll never meet, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I think it's just, it's one of those things where like, um, I guess just make the most of the opportunities that you have. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize that if you're complacent, you're not growing. Mm -hmm. But like, 
it's not necessarily about you growing. If you see people that you know are kind of stuck in a rut and they need that push, mm. then I would say don't be afraid to step in and try and, you know, push them along because I believe that's what we're called to do mm. as as believers, you know. It's not so much I'm individually running the race by myself. Mm-hmm. We should be running the race together and helping spur along those who are running beside us, even though they might not be at the same pace as us. If I catch up with somebody and I see them slowing down, then I should be like, okay, you know, let's keep, keep this going, let's move together. So I think it's, uh, looking at it from that spiritual side, mm. it relates back to just, you know, how we interact with each other on a daily basis. Either you're helping push somebody along or you're, you're holding them back and, mm. or you're just choosing not to do anything. Yeah. And how bad is that if we see somebody that we feel like we could help and we just like, oh, like my my thoughts are like, um, my image is more important than what this person is dealing with or what they may be going through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I I would agree. I mean, that's um, there's there's so many. There's so many ways we can impact people with our life and, and whether we engage or not, it, it's telling a story, right? And it's helping mm-hmm. people to kind of shape what does it look like to in, in, engage with community? What does it mean to engage with people? Um, and so um, I'm glad that you had relationships like that, that encouraged you, that saw something in you, uh, pushed you further than you were probably even willing to go at that time um, and uh, and see how it ultimately has impacted not just you as a kid, but you as, as a husband, as a dad, you know, as a firefighter, all of these things, uh, they matter uh, over a long period of time. Um, so let me ask you this, what, what were some other um, influences in your life? We talked a little bit on the phone about uh, your love for music. So where did that come from? When did that start? So my dad is actually a great musician. He's self-taught. Uh, he played guitar, but he'd been playing ever since he was a kid. And so I remember growing up, you know, he would be in the living room with his aunt and he'd be playing and like me and my brothers, we would be right there dancing. But like, as we got older, uh, we realized like he was doing this because he actually played in a gospel group. So I remember as we got older, going to some of these events where he would play with the band that he was in, they were called the gospel keynotes. And so okay. my dad played rhythm electric. I remember they had a bass player, a drummer, and then they had two female singers and one male singer. And so different churches would have them come in mm-hmm. and do programs for them. And so I think that's where my love for music came from. Um, I remember getting a drum set when I was really young like mm-hmm. too young to actually know what I was doing with it. And so <laughs> yeah. I ended up uh, destroying it. But my dad played guitar, my mom sang, my mom actually a, a great singer. Um, so they kind of, mm-hmm. I got that from them in the yeah. way they influenced me that yeah. way. So. Being a being a drummer myself, I, uh, I kind of wish I was uh, uh, more interested in something like a guitar because it was it's so much easier to travel with you know drums you got to break down you got to set up and it's it's the loudest instrument and you have to like really process what's going on everyone just hears clanking around and you know guitar or piano you know has all that all that uh, just comes with it. it's like oh it sounds so good um, so what so what drew you to to drums specifically 
Uh, I tried guitar, actually. Um, initially, I started with bass because okay. me and some of my buddies were going to start a band in middle school. And so my dad bought me a bass. Um, I tried that. I went from bass to piano so I can fool around with both of those. Um, mm -hmm. But then I realized, like, guitar and piano was just not for me. Yeah. So I remember getting a drum set in high school. And uh, even before I got the drum set, we had yeah. a music store in America's downtown. And uh, it was some kind of parade that we played at because I did band in high school as well. So um, I remember after that parade, I came to that music store and like he had a drum set in there. And I just went and sat down for hours and That's like just awesome. played. And I know that guy. What was that? What get. was it? Do you remember what the store was called? I actually yeah. do yeah. not. Okay. I know somebody in America remembers the name of that store, but uh, that's cool. I know that guy had to get tired of me <laughs> just being in there playing. Man. I mean, I was in there for hours of playing, and I kind of got started to get a rhythm for it, got a mm -hmm. feel. It came a little bit natural to mm -hmm. me. So then, eventually, that's my parents funny. ended up giving me a drum set in high school. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of went from there. I actually remember I went and played at a church, um, and I was not ready at the time, and I did horrible. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so it yeah. kind of it kind of set me back for a minute because I was like, okay, maybe drums is not what I'm called to do. But I got back into it and been That's playing awesome. ever since then. That's awesome. So uh, gospel music. I mean. Contemporary. What were your? What were you going for? What were you? What was as the bands as you were part of bands? Like uh, what was influencing you to to play? So I have always had an attraction to the rock music. Like I, I literally listen to everything. I mean, there's probably a genre out there that you could throw out, and I'd be like, yeah, I know this song by the yeah. band that's in that genre. Um, so I would say my musical influences are all over the place but when I was mm -hmm. in middle school it was more so along the rock era uh, I wouldn't necessarily say we went through an emo phase where uh -huh. we were kind of writing like sad depressing songs um, but we wanted those lyrics that kind of like felt deep and made people really think okay is this what they're trying to say or do they really mean this and yeah yeah um, so that was uh, middle school, going into high school, and then I actually joined a legitimate rock band mm -hmm. when I was in college. We actually played uh, a couple of shows, mm -hmm. um, but it was a little bit more on the heavy side, so yeah. I don't <laughs> necessarily know that people would uh, enjoy that, but that was back when like, my hair was wild, yeah, uh, yeah. I had natural dreads. Yeah. Um, so was there a moment you're you're getting together with the group and you're just like, we could we need to do this thing, maybe this is like a full-time thing, or was it just just fun, just just getting a chance to hang out, play music that you loved, or like, you know, what was that like? So GSW did what they, they have what they called a University of 1000 class, and I remember meeting a guy in there, and his name is Drew Brownlee, and uh, we just started talking, and he was like, you know, I play guitar, and so it kind of sparked the conversation. I remember going to, uh, his dorm room, he had this black Les Paul, um, and he had an amp, and I mean, he was shredding. 
and like he he is really talented and then i was just like okay well i play drums so maybe we should jam sometime and so we kind of started playing it's like music dating it's like you play play guitar i play drums what do you think yeah yeah (laughs) like let's let's do something you know um and so he knew guys that he had went to high school with that played and so Mm -hmm. we ended up forming a band called morning gloria okay (laughs) yeah so uh, we wrote some good songs and never really got like mm-hmm. too big, but you know, I think we actually we genuinely had something there. It's yeah. just a moment of you know avenues kind of working out and things. Mm-hmm. But you know, it is what it is now. Yeah. And I ended up uh, being in a, a bluegrass band playing cajon with an acoustic guitar and. A lead singer, and mm-hmm. actually two of my very good friends. So yeah, I'm kind of all over the place when yeah. it comes to music, man. That's but. great. That's great. Um, so all right, so you're you're at GSW. Uh, you're playing music. Uh, where's where's your kind of headspace? Where do you want to go in life? Where do you want to? Uh, what are you pursuing? What um, do you have a, a major? So okay, I'm gonna step back a minute. Okay. So, I always have had this desire to serve, mm. and I don't necessarily know where that comes from. More than likely, it comes from the Lord. That's just how He wired me. But uh, I remember growing up, I said I wanted to be a firefighter, and uh, which is actually yeah. what I do now. Mm-hmm. And I remember running into a kid who I graduated with, and we were just talking, and um, he asked me what I, what I was doing. I told him I like, you know, I'm a firefighter now, and uh, he was like, man, I remember back in elementary school, you said you were going to do that, and you actually did it. So it was cool to hear yeah. that, you know, somebody that I grew up with remembered that and now to see it actually mm-hmm. being put into place. But I was all about the military. Like, I just knew that I was going to do military mm-hmm. after high school. Like, I did JRTC. I had been talking to recruiters, yeah, took yeah. the ASVAB and everything, and then... Uh, I ended up graduating, and I think I was just afraid to run, if that makes sense. Mm. I was comfortable here, and I let that dictate me not joining the military. Mm-hmm. And not that I have regrets, because I, I don't. I think everything that all the decisions that I made have led me to where I'm at mm-hmm. now. But um, so I ended up going to GSW my okay. first year. I just was taking classes, did not have a major. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody found out that I played music that was in the actual music department, so I got recruited to the GSW band. Okay, I was in the GSW concert band. Uh, I was in the GSW jazz band for a okay. semester. Okay, and uh, I did, we had like a GSW brass trio where we would play like, uh, at like this event that they had called the Magical Dinner. So we play mm-hmm. like these Baroque style pieces and everything and they would get dressed up and they'd be like a, a feast and, and all this. And so mm-hmm. I like, okay, maybe I should be a music major. Yeah. So music major, here we go. Then I get to the point where I realized GSW's music program is geared more towards teaching. And I didn't want to teach. I just mm-hmm. wanted to perform. Yeah. So I like, okay, that kind of set me back, but I was gonna still stick with it. And the goal at that point was to 
graduate with a music degree and percussion and then audition mm-hmm. for the Navy band. That way I could still mm-hmm. serve, but then I still have my hand in music too. And uh, actually the band director at the time was a guy named Richard Swope. And I actually got the idea from him because mm-hmm. he went straight into the Navy band out of high school. And that requires ridiculous amount of talent to go straight in after high school with no mm-hmm. kind of degree or anything. And so, uh, here I am, a music major, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not working out the way that I want it to, so yeah. I end up changing. I go to health and PE, I do that for a while, then I change to exercise science, then mm-hmm. I'm back at health and PE, and then um, kind of hit me, okay, maybe college isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so I ventured out into the real world and um, Applied with the City of Americas, got hired in 2017, and I've been a firefighter ever since then. Okay. Well, it seems uh, being a part of so many, uh, especially within music, um, and that's really that's really awesome. I mean, being a part of uh, you know those types of bands and those types of uh, organizations, like being a part of a school. I mean, you've I mean you've got to have talent. Like, have you ever met a piece that you're just like that was this the most challenging piece that you've ever had to learn in percussion or drums that you're just like, man, that was just really tough, or uh, did everything kind of come pretty natural to you? I don't want to say everything did come kind of natural to me, but mm-hmm. uh, I struggle with some things. I wouldn't, I can't necessarily remember a piece where I was just like, man, like that was tough. Like, of course I had to work at things and I practice. Mm-hmm. Actually, I take that back. Playing in GSW jazz band was probably the most difficult time for me as a musician because okay. I was not used to the dynamic of a jazz band. I I listen to jazz, but mm-hmm. I never really thought about being a jazz drummer. Like you, you, I understand this idea that everything is kind of dependent on drums. But in that sense, it was a lot so more because, like, I remember we'd be in practice, and uh, the horn section would miss a cue, so the director would stop and he'd be like, "Okay," he'd look at me and he'd be like. Why didn't you give them a lick to cue them in? And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, they like they missed the cue. That's on them. That's their part. Mm-hmm. He like, no, you should have led them into it by like some nice little lick on the snare, so they can kind of know, okay, this is where we come in at. And yeah, uh, it took me a while to get that, but kind of like the team dynamic of like, hey, yeah, coming in and, and helping people like progress through the song. Yeah, and not that necessarily. That was the challenging part. Not necessarily the genre was challenging Yeah, not to necessarily you. the genre. It's just the idea of they're reading their music, you're reading your music, but it's still the collaboration. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a combination, not just individuals. And it sounds so much better when everything is, like, working together and fluid, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it does. It does. I know I said that that was probably the diff- most difficult time for me as a musician, but I grew mm-hmm. a ton in that. Like, uh, like I was practicing a lot because I was like, mm-hmm. man, if I don't get this lit right, if I slow down and drag the tempo, like it's all coming back mm-hmm. to me as yeah. a drummer. Like they, they're following me. And so yeah. I remember I'd go in the practice room and I just listen to a metronome. 
like mm-hmm. to just try and get the steadiness of the beat in my head. Um, I actually play drums goofy as well. So where most people use their right hand to play the hi-hat, mm-hmm. I, did, I don't do that. So I use my left hand. Okay. This is my hi-hat hand, and this is my snare hand. And so it'll okay. look weird, but that's what works for me. And so yeah. because of that, I don't really use my rod cymbal okay. a lot. Like I use a lot of crashes and mm-hmm. uh, the hi-hats. And so adjusting to the using the rod, like that was kind of difficult because like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 it was just weird. <laughs> You understand. You understand. I understand what you're saying. That's great. That's great. Um, I love. Yeah. I mean, just you know, when you when you're a drummer, you have just kind of your setup. You know, depending on how many pieces you have, how many cymbals you have, kind of how how you like to sit. You know, you try to sit down. You can't just sit down on somebody's drum set. Like you you just you have to adjust. Um, Most people bring their own snare because they're just like I got my kind of my sound, my tone for that. So it's it's definitely a culture and art. You know, you just kind of come into it. Um, so, I mean, looking at throughout your life and just, again, just recognizing these, these places that you, you're in um, and you're, you're always wanting to see other people um, come with you, come alongside of you, even with music, you know, you're helping set the tone, set the spa- uh, pace for it and wanting to see people succeed. Um, I mean, it seems like your values kind of kept throughout your life. Um, were there any moments in your life where you felt like your values were challenged or changed? I would say probably when I got to GSW, I would say that my values were challenged okay. in a way. Um, growing up, I, like I said earlier, I was a good kid. I didn't really do a whole lot to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I made mistakes. Everybody does. And there were moments where I, I did get in trouble, but like I did not intentionally seek out opportunities to where I could just... Uh, kind of push boundaries and do things, you know, that would upset my parents. Um, but I would say at GSW, my values were challenged a bit just because, like, I saw some of the things that were going on around me on campus mm-hmm. and I viewed them a certain way. And people engaging in those things, I was like, man, like, those are bad. Mm-hmm. Like, that's bad that they're doing that. Like, they don't understand how this is affecting the other people. Uh, how it makes them look, and you know, um, I had a buddy that actually sat me down, and he was like, you know, we're not really much different than mm-hmm. them. Like, what I'm, what you're doing is still the same. It's just, it might not be on that same level, but like mm-hmm. we're all doing things that are wrong in the sight of God, whether it's blatantly or whether it's just kind of you're trying to hide it and think that nobody else knows it, but like God being all knowing, he knows these things, he knows our hearts. Mm. So like, I had to come to the reality that, you know, sin is sin regardless. And like, I can't live my life saying I'm better than these people just because I'm not doing these things out in the open. Like I'm, I still have my sin that I struggle with and that I try to conceal. So um, I think it would make a lot more real to me, if that makes sense, like just yeah. this understanding of it's not just about being good, mm-hmm. but like it's actually about the relationship aspect. And I think for the longest time, I was just like, man, like if I'm just good, like if I'm not stealing, like I'm not 
lying, uh, mm-hmm. cheating, doing those kind of things. Like I'm, I'm good. Like I can get into heaven. And so at GSW, you're like running into a brick wall. Like this is not gonna get you mm. in the heaven. So yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Uh, well, I mean, it seems like all of us need to run into that, right? To try to figure out, okay, who we are, you know, and and be challenged by that, and and then try to figure out, okay, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to uh, to be uh, a Christian? You know, what does that look like? I mean, what is what is the true story? Is it is it me doing good things, um, or is it, you know, the gospel where you know Jesus has done the righteous things for you, and you receive those at, as to yourself, and He takes you know those things that you're talking about. And so, I mean, there are obviously there are moments where um, some of us are delivered from a lot of kind of sinful patterns, and then some of us are delivered from our self righteousness. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Like you need to be saved from being good. That's (laughs) crazy. Right. Um, But those things, obviously, on the outside, people enjoy those things. You know, you're you're benefiting people, but you needed to to deal with the inside, too. So I think that that's really, really important. Um, And everyone needs to kind of walk through that and go, okay, what does it mean, you know, to Mm -hmm. be who I am and what are my values? What do I believe? And and uh, and so and just to have someone do that. I think is also important. You know, a lot of times we don't find ourselves in pockets and environments where we are challenged, right? We just kind of find ourselves in a bubble and, you know, if somebody starts kind of, whether it's on social media or whatever, kind of starts pushing back, we either go back into kind of what we're uh, okay with Mm -hmm. or um, we just kind of just ignore it. Um, And so um, it's really, really good for you to be, to receive that, you know? so, um, so yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you this. So you're you're getting out of GSW. Um, you're you're recognizing. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna work for the city. Become a firefighter. Um, where's the picture of the story of um, you and Kara, right? And and your kids. Okay, so I actually met Kara at GSW. So I was involved in the BCM, BCM band. I helped. We worship, I played drums for him. Um, and I remember I had a good friend named Mary Jo Moxley who actually sang in the band with us. Okay. And uh, she was friends with Kara. And so we were all hanging out. Kara somehow ended up there. And um, we just had a good time mm-hmm. talking, eating pizza, hanging out. And I remember her making a statement that, like, you know, she liked when guys would kind of dress up, like look a little bit nicer. And so I remember that next week at BCM, I got a buddy of mine to join in with me and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. Like I'm, I'm gonna wear a nice shirt, but like I'm gonna also throw on a tie just to kind of see yeah. if like she would yeah. notice it. And yeah. uh, obviously it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, we ended up dating. Uh, but I think just the timing, so mm-hmm. she was a freshman. We started dating the spring of her freshman year, and mm-hmm. uh, we didn't really have a lot of time just to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And she went back home for the summer with, with Lawrenceville, so like three and a half hours yeah. away. I stayed here in mm-hmm. America, obviously, and I had to work. Um, I didn't have a reliable car that I thought I could drive 
to Lawrenceville every weekend or like every other weekend to see her. So that first summer, we went the whole summer without seeing each other. It was just kind of phone calls mm-hmm. and texts. And uh, she ended up having a hard summer. A lot of things happened that just kind of uh, weighed on her and challenged mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried to, you know, be there for it as much as I could being here, um, but it was still not that same kind of interaction when you're face to face with somebody. And so um, that fall of the next year, she came back and we kind of took a step back. We were like, it's not working. Like I remember exactly everything that happened and that led to that. Um, so we took a break, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I. Sometimes the timing is just not right for the situation, but um, it was weird, it was like awkward because we didn't really communicate after that, and I think neither one of us knew how to communicate with the other, so we would see each other and it would just be like this awkward kind of silence. And um, I remember there was a BCN service and she had actually got a camera that mm-hmm. she had been working up to save, I mean, working to save up for, because it was a really, really expensive camera. She worked at a photography studio during the summer, and uh, she kind of found me, came and told me, you know, that she got the camera that she had been working to get, and uh, it kind of just re-sparked mm-hmm. the things, and so we started talking again, and uh, it got to that point where we had to have the conversation of, like, 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 what are we doing? Like, are we moving forward? Are we just good friends? And so um, we ended up dating and it's been uh, history ever since then. So uh, dated for a while. I remember we ended up getting engaged in Mexico Beach. Um, and then I started working for the city in 2017 Actually, I started working December 13th, 2017. Okay. That's when I started my recruit school. And uh, we ended up getting married March the 3rd of 2018. Okay. So uh, coming up on five years yeah. pretty soon, um, we had a son named Briar who was born uh, April 30th, okay. 2019. Um, that kind of changed our world. Yeah, uh, that's what I say. But for the better, like yeah. I enjoy it, man. It's the best thing having kids. Um, he ended up having uh, his first birthday was actually just the three of us <laughs> on the porch because that was like the height of COVID, oh, so nobody yeah, could really right. um, come and celebrate with us. And uh, but we enjoyed it. We had a great time, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually have a four-month-old daughter now named Ramsey, who was born May 30th of mm-hmm. this year, so, uh, which is a weird thing. So my birthday is July 30th, then Briar's is April 30th, and Ramsey is May 30th, so all these 30s. But uh, mm-hmm. that, that's us, man. Like, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. I know, man. It's, it's, it's one of the most enjoyable things is to be a dad, to be a father, and and to see the, the opportunities for you now to invest into to your kids, just like your dad invested into you and, and the things that you've learned. So I think that's really, really amazing. So what's it like to be a firefighter in, in the city? 
it's a good job. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the kind like the call to serve. I know I said that earlier, but like I yeah. think that's the biggest thing for me is like uh, I want to make a difference because when somebody calls nine one one, you know, it, they're quite possibly having the worst day of their life, mm. and so they need people to come in and help them. Um, and so I I think that's what I enjoy most about it is being able to help people in a time of need. Um, mm-hmm. I have learned a lot about myself. Uh, I learned a lot about other people. Um, like I said, you just, you kind of see people at the worst, and mm-hmm. then people are looking to you to make the situation better for them. Yeah. And even if you can't, like they're still seeking that from you, so you you got to do the best of your ability, um, mm. so, and it can be tough. I know a, a couple of my friends are kind of re- first responders, and uh, I just think about that. We talked about this a little bit earlier, too, but just about the, um, I mean, you're walking into a situation, like you said, that could be the worst situation that that person has ever been in, uh, a, lot of, a lot of trauma. You're not the you're not the crew that that gets there after. You're the crew that gets there to be a part of the first. You know, it's the first responders, and so um, there, there's a lot that you have to process in your own heart and your mind. I'm I'm very sure you've again. We're talking about challenges, you know, and, and just trying to process so many things. Um, what's that What's that like for you to have to like? How, how do you process those things? I would say, like, I try and analyze things a lot. Maybe, like, I try and analyze in the situation, but sometimes you don't have time to do that. So a lot of times I find myself analyzing on the back end. Um, But I think as a department, we do a good job of Mm kind of helping each other walk through these situations that we've just been placed in. Because if you don't talk about it, it ends up becoming like a constant thing Mm-hmm. that you think about and it'll weigh you down. You can feel like you're alone, which leads to uh, the PTSD, which we see mm-hmm. in first responders. And uh, that's not normal. Like a lot of times you're seeing stuff that is not normal. Like that, it was never meant to be that way, but like that's just the world we live in post Genesis 3, you know? Yeah. We're gonna, uh, situations are gonna arise and occur. Um, mm. But, like I said, I think we do a great job of just trying to make sure, like, if you have feelings or, like, you feel like something could have been done different or if you feel like you didn't do enough, like, we we talk about it. Um, and it can be tough, like, even going home to my family because, like, I want to talk to care about certain things, but, like, there's, there's a disconnect in a mm-hmm. way because, like, we were there on the scene, like in it, like you said, and like just trying to portray that to her. A lot of times she doesn't really understand that, that dynamic of like what it was like in the moment, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would you say that, um, I, I don't know how long you've been part of the department or, or even just the idea of being a man and like trying to process your emotions, do you feel like um, just kind of growing up, was that something normal for you? To you know, did you feel like you had space to process 
um, to even seek counseling, you know, and and because uh, I, I see the benefits of it, and I just sometimes I feel like the, you know, the culture may be getting better at this now, but it's always like, well, if you're a man, you don't you don't you don't share your feelings, you know, you just deal with it, you know, you tuck it. You feel like you're in a good place um, now to be able to process that more, and it's it it's more common than it used to be. I would agree. Um, I think I do a better job at sharing my emotions now. Um, growing up, not so much. Like I held on to a lot, and that influenced how I thought about uh, certain things, certain situations, even certain people. I know um, it shouldn't be like that, but you know, I feel like that's what happens when, like, as a boy, you are. You see these images of like what a strong man is supposed to look like, and I think it's quite the opposite of what we make it out to be. Like, if you can't control your emotions by, you know, letting them flow out to you in these safe spaces, talking to people about things, or like, um, you know, kind of putting it out all out there, I feel like you're doing yourself more harm than good because at some point. It's all gonna come out, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. gonna come out in like just some angry kind of rage type thing. Or like, uh, if it doesn't come out, it might lead to depression, just anxiety about certain things, not wanting to end up in these situations because you're dwelling on it in your mind already. Mm -hmm. um, it's tough, you know. Yeah. I think I try and with me and my wife, we try and do a good job about. Uh, to asking Brian like how he feels, like mm -hmm. what happened, like if anything did happen, how did it make him feel? How did mm -hmm. he respond to it? Um, yeah, I just I think that's important to do, especially with young boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think it's very important that we don't stigmatize that and say you know that that's not a good thing for young men to process um and so you know if someone's listening even now and they're you know they're thinking about parenting or they are parenting and you know they're thinking about you know growing up their their boys into men just recognize like you said it's going to seep out somewhere because it's so it's so impactful to us mm -hmm. in our lives and um and so you know being a man doesn't mean that you take what's given to you and you stuff it down it means being able to process it in such a way it doesn't mean that you're weak because you have to communicate that in fact it's to me it shows a sign of strength because you're able to communicate it in such a way that you're able to kind of spread that load out instead of just carrying it um, i think it's that idea of being strong enough to control your emotions rather than let them control you that's that good that's good that's good um, well, I hope, I mean, even with, like I said, even if people are listening now and they've got young boys, you know, just give them opportunity to be able to share, create environments for them, get them around men that are willing to say, hey, what are you going through? Um, uh, I think it's very, very encouraging for those guys uh, to be able to do that. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, kind of America's, so let's kind of like take it and kind of push it forward kind of towards the future of America. Again, you're born and raised here. Um, there's no um, inclination at this point where you feel like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to another place. So what what, what do you see about America? What what does America need more of um, as far as the future is concerned? Or what, what does it need less of to be to continue to be a thriving city? And, and maybe even uh, from that, even people will come and, and want to want to hear more about America's. 
Okay, I feel like Americans could use more people that actually, you know, care about the community overall rather than just caring about the areas that they live in per se. I feel like mm. we should do a better job of like actually getting out and getting outside of that bubble that we sometimes create and place mm -hmm. ourselves in. Um, because you never know like what people are going through or what people are dealing with. And uh, just because somebody lives on the other side of town, then you does not mean that they're lesser. It does not mean that they're better. We're all humans. And I feel mm -hmm. like the only way things are gonna change is if we realize, okay, we need to come together. Like the division in Americas, whether mm -hmm. we wanna admit that or not, like people are, we're divided, but the, the nation is divided as a whole right now. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, we could kind of expect that kind of trickling down. But um, I, I just feel like we need to do a better job of serving mm -hmm. each other. Um, Have you been a part of any like organization or even just personal uh, kind of effort to like, what, what would it look like if we were doing it well? I would say so. I've, I've been in uh, organizations that get out and serve these people. Uh, mm -hmm. or not these people, but like serve different people across mm -hmm. the spectrum. Um, I remember built, going in, working on a house one summer with some summer missionaries. We kind of did insulation for the people. Um, I've been part of situations where like we build wheelchair ramps for people. Um, but like even just going out and like trying to talk to people, not necessarily like about any given thing, but like just introducing yourself, like sparking or taking that first step and trying to get to know somebody. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, just because somebody does not look like you or they don't think like you does not mean that like they're not worthy of like your time. Like mm -hmm. I feel like at the end of the day, we're really selfish and my time is about me and what I want to do with it, mm. but um, I think it's more so about serving others and you know giving of yourself because that's the only way that we're gonna make America better. It's not by individually doing things. You can do all the things you want to individually and still not change anything. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You just end up glorifying yourself, mm. but. I would, I would like to see the community come together um, in that way, so. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, it's, again, I just moved here five, six months ago, um, and and just knowing that, like you said, you gotta create environments and spaces in your life. You have to be intentional, right? You have to be intentional to create new relationships and to build new relationships with people that may not look like you, talk like you, act like you, right? Uh, because of the, like I said, the assumptions is we know we know people. I mean, if you live this way, or if you vote this way, or if I see you in this car, I know everything about you. The reality is, is that we don't know anything about those people. Um, and the more we talk, the more we actually find more in common with the things that we have, and and the the sense of compromise that we have, that we have to have in, in our relationship. It's, the reason why I do this is because there's parts of me that I don't agree with all of that, but I'm, I'm doing it because of this, if that makes any sense. And so 
So, but you just got to get in there. You got to ask good questions. You just got to be available. And I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, even what we're doing now is we're learning how to neighbor well together by just asking questions, getting the chance to know people. Um, And so I think that that's really, really uh, huge. And I hope that that there's more and more because I think think you're right. I mean, I think there are people that are Americas that, uh, man, people love people that they know but it's just hard to take that risk of what is this relationship going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we if we see every relationship as transactional or beneficial to us, then we're going to limit our scope. Uh, but if we just want to be more intentional, sacrificial, if we get nothing from this relationship other than uh, a good conversation, uh, it's worth it. It's worth it um, because people are getting to see that and model that. So I think that's really, really uh, amazing. Um, so, well, let me ask you this, kind of as we kind of get ready to kind of land the plane, uh, let me ask you a little bit about, is there anything in particular that uh, maybe you've seen in other uh, like small towns and cities uh, that you would love to see come to Americas as well, whether that's, uh, you know, a new venue or, or whatever, um, that you just would love to see the city uh, engage in a little bit more? You got, you got kids, you know, like, is there like, man, I would love for us to be able to do this in, in our town. That question kind of caught me all guard. Yeah. Um, it's probably one that I need to take some time yeah. to think on. Uh, yeah. I guess I could, I could say this. Um, I want to see like change within the school system. Like mm-hmm. I, does I feel like I lost my thought. I lost my thought. Sorry about that. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Well, I think it's something that even as we're always, we're just constantly just realizing, okay, why am I here? What am I doing? Where we're going? Um, and I'm, I'm really thankful and I'm excited about some of the things that are happening in the city. So for example, right over here on Jackson Street, you know, it looks like there's a new restaurant, I think a uh, ice cream shop coming in. Um, There's going to be like a little art gallery on the top. Um, And so there seems to be some things that are just just growing. Um, And um, and again, just as we engage, we're like, man, you know, what are some things that get us really excited? Obviously, with anyone that would be coming to Americas, things like education are very important, right? I mean, those are kind of the top tier education jobs, those types of things. Um, so as people are coming in, uh, as Americas, you know, we just want to figure out how to serve them and um, kind of let them know that they're welcomed here um, and that this is a great place for them to live and thrive. So, all right, well, let me ask you a couple what I like to call kind of our rapid-fire questions um, just to kind of get to know you a little bit more. Okay. Um, so, all right, so you're a firefighter. So what's your, what's your, what's your maybe a daily or weekly routine? What, what time are you getting up in the morning? Uh, right now, it's a little bit earlier than I would like it to be, uh, just because my son is going through this phase where, like, he just gets up and he is wired and he is ready to go. Um, typically, I'm getting up around like five thirty-five there on the days that I have to work because mm-hmm. I get ready. Um, my wife actually makes the commute to Cordell, so on days that she is running a shift. I, I end up uh, dropping my kids off, and so I have to do that before I have to be at work at 7. Mm-hmm. So typically, I'm up at 5.35 and trying to be 
out the door by six fifteen. Okay. Um, yeah. Thankfully, my parents uh, keep our kids, so we don't have to pay for daycare, which is yeah, ridiculously expensive <laughs> these days. Um, but yeah. with my mom being a retired teacher and uh, my dad being there, like I'm comfortable with what my kids are learning. I know that Brian yeah. gonna be ready when he starts school, which will be next year. Which that's man, awesome. That's, that's crazy. Has, it has flown by. Like it did <laughs> not seem like uh, he's getting ready to start start school. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, uh, favorite family activity. Favorite family activity. Uh, probably disc golf. Nice. So my son loves to play, and um, mm-hmm. he is at the age where he he has his own bag. He carries his own disc. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually pretty good. That's um, awesome. For people that don't know what disc golf is, can you give me like you know a, a just kind of a one to two minute dis- description of what disc golf is? Yeah, so it's literally like golf, but mm-hmm. you're using this. And a lot of times people say frisbees. Mm-hmm. Don't say frisbees. It's a disc. There's a difference. A disc weighs more uh-huh. than a frisbee, um, and different discs are. Uh, created in different ways, so like you might have a disc that's overstable, a disc that's neutral, a disc that's understable, which mm-hmm. affects how they will fly. Um, but it's literally like golf, you have a basket, you have a tee pad, mm-hmm. you start on the tee, you throw, uh, you have a certain amount of attempts that you have to get a disc into the basket with, so the scoring works the same way as golf. If you get it and under the amount of throws and you get a birdie if you go over it's a bogey double mm-hmm. bogey triple bogey bogey um yeah but and I there's would, a are there's a few disc golf courses here in america yeah, and yes. the surrounding yeah uh there's a disc golf course at uh the rec center out on mm-hmm. highway 19 there's this disc golf course at uh my church which is central baptist um, mm-hmm. gsw has a couple of holes uh Outside of town, uh, Brickyard Resort mm-hmm. has a disc golf course there, um, and I mean, you can go to Warner Robins, Albany. Yeah, the course is everywhere. With disc golf, it actually yeah. So really if you see a basket, big. it's more than likely it's a disc golf basket. Yeah. And, uh, so because they're popping up everywhere, which is great. It's a good little sport uh, if you're looking for something just to get into uh, that's new and. Um, I play too, and um, it's just a great community of people. Everyone, if you see someone with discs, you're probably like waving them down and going, hey, you wanna play with us? Uh, so that's a good little community of people. What's your um, favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant would probably be, actually, so it's a, it's a local place. Um, mm-hmm. I actually do not know where it started, Okay. Uh, but I actually had it for the first time in Tallahassee last year. It's a place called Guthrie's. Okay. It's uh, a chicken place. Okay. It, yeah. It's essentially just like Zaxby's, mm-hmm. uh, just like Raising Cane's, but to me, it's so much better. Like, uh, okay. it's just one of those uh, small town kind of mm-hmm. vibes, but I recently found out that there's a Guthrie's in all of any. That is very and, true. Uh, yes, it is. Once I found that out, it was over with. Like, I, I won't drive to Albany just to get Guthrie's, but if we go You're down looking there, for a reason to go. Yeah, okay. I am. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, uh, let me ask you this. What's, what's, your, what's your favorite song or, or um, just what, what have you been on repeat or play throughout the week that you're really enjoying right now? 
Well, right now, uh, what we have had on repeat is the soundtrack to Encanto. That is all my son wants oh, nice. to listen to. Okay. As soon as we get in the truck or we get in my wife's car, he's like, I want to listen to Encanto music. And you hear that enough, eventually you're going to put it on. Um, but I really I don't think I have a favorite song. Mm-hmm. Uh, my musical taste, like, it's just so broad. Like, I... <laughs> I listen to literally everything. That's so, awesome. Um, That's great. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so, again, coming into Americus, being here, where are some really great places? We're talking about community. We're talking about neighboring well. Where are some good community environments uh, for for people to get connected to new relationships that you found? Um, I think the city is actually doing a great job of and creating these environments, you know, mm-hmm. with like First Friday and uh, with all the events that they're bringing into mm-hmm. the city just to try and get people out there and get people involved. Um, but I feel like people need to take those steps and be willing to actually go. Yeah. Um, like they had a music festival not too long ago and I thought that it would have been great to go to. I actually was not able to make it at the time, but um I know the people that didn't go because they were like, well, it was not my kind of music mm-hmm. or it, it was not my scene. But uh, you're limiting yourself if mm-hmm. you don't, you know, take that chance or like take that opportunity. Um, I think a lot of times we don't know what we don't like because we won't give it a chance. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, but I think the city is doing a great job with that. Um, I know Cafe Campesino is like a great spot to, mm-hmm. to go and just sit down and uh, meet people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even if you like, you wanted to invite somebody there to just have a good conversation, you can do mm-hmm. that. It's a nice place. Um, I actually remember uh, me and my wife ended up going on a, I, part of our first date was actually to Cafe Campesino. Okay. Um, I had plans to go somewhere else, but they were not open, and so I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I need something else to, yeah. to get to real quick, and so they were open, and so we went there, hung out, got coffee. Um, it's a lot of places. Yeah, it's, it's a good little downtown. place. I think I think they've officially changed it again to, or changed it to this uh, South Georgia Bakery. I think Sweet Georgia. Sweet, Sweet Georgia yeah. Bakery? I apologize. I actually used me. to work there. That was um, my first job. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, so I've heard they've got really great food, and I've, I've met some really cool people there. So, uh, yeah, there are some really great places. Um, and like you said, you just got to be intentional, realize that people are going through a lot, um, and maybe they're just looking for someone to kind of, you know, go through that with them. Um, and so, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit of your story. And just encouraging us, um, even as we, again, become better neighbors, uh, we kind of step into that. What does that mean? Um, it's great to hear the story uh, and how God is obviously working in your life, but also where we're headed um, and how to focus on those things. So thank you so much, and we appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Awesome. All right, man, we did it. Sorry. Oh, man, it's great. That, that, uh... That one question I... No, I it's fine. Say. It's fine. No, it's... I mean, I, I, I didn't mean to like throw you off or anything like that at all. Um.